This is Brown's Digest. What's going on, Dog Pound? Hope you guys are hungry. It is time for the Brown's Digest podcast, episode number four. I am back with Pete Smith. I am Sean Stevenson. Pete, how you doing today? I'm good. Weather's good. Yes, it's always nice when you have good weather in Cleveland. It's starting to get a little bit gloomier, but it was pretty warm out today, and the sun's been out, which is also nice, meaning that summer is almost here. But the spring first has to come and springtime means NFL draft season. So in this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the Pittsburgh Steelers and their free agency. But before we hop into that, obviously, big news came out this week on Monday. The New York Jets finally traded Sam Darnold after months of discussion if they were going to keep him or draft Zach Wilson, potentially where they're going to move him on draft night. The Carolina Panthers now answer that question and they trade for him sending a six-round pick in this year's draft. And then next year, the Jets will receive, or they received a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick. Ideally, what will be used in order to build around Zach Wilson and pretty much change around that franchise. And then also with the Panthers receiving Sam Darnold, that now puts somewhat of a QB competition between him and, um, what is his name? It's escaping me right now. The quarterback for the Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater. So likely a QB competition to go between them two and likely takes the Panthers out of the QB mark in the draft. What we could see as many as potentially six or five quarterbacks taken in the first round. Pete, what are your thoughts on this Sam Darnold trade to Carolina? Well, first, uh, the Panthers evidently have decided they couldn't get up into the top picks where they wanted to to pick a uh, a quarterback from this year. Uh, It certainly sounds like Anything Teddy, uh, anything with uh, Deshaun Watson is on hold for the time being, if not forever. Uh, so they got a quarterback that they like that can they can sort of work with now. They gave uh, Teddy Bridgewater permission to seek out a trade, uh, which they need as much as he does right now because they are on the hook for a lot of money with him if they can't move him. Um, I. You know, I, I think Sam Darnold is talented. I, I think he needs a ton of coaching and maybe Matt rules the right place for him. Um, he, he, you know, the Jets were just a bad situation and they handled them really poorly. Uh, it's a great trade for Joe Douglas uh, getting the picks that they got. He's done a great job maximizing getting rid of players for assets that they can sort of build around. If, you know, assuming it's Zach Wilson, they've got a lot of picks uh, that they can sort of build around with him. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the Panthers get a, a, a chance uh, with, with Darnold. He's like 23, I think still, if he disappeared for a couple of years, he'd be 25. And, you know, that's not a bad situation to be in necessarily. Uh, and if it works, they've got a quarterback. If it doesn't, they haven't extended themselves to a point where they can't make a move for somebody else. Uh, and I don't think next year's quarterback class is bad, as some people have suggested. It's going to be a big drop off. For example, I think uh, Sam 
Sam McDowell or whatever uh, from UNC is really, really good. I think he's going to be a really nice quarterback. Uh, so, you know, look at the price that the 49ers spent to move up nine spots. Uh, I think, you know, it's an obscene amount of assets to give up. They give up the, uh, for, the Panthers give up so much less for a guy who's probably no less likely to hit than, than a guy like Mac Jones, if that's an, indeed the insane path that the 49ers could take. So it's not, you know, a big swing for the fences. It's, it's like trying to, you know, get on base and it, it's interesting. I don't know that it works, but the Panthers now have eighth pick that they can sort of use for anything. Um, and they have weapons that can go around Sam Darnold. So if they can coach him up and get him to be, if nothing else, turn the ball over less, then that would be a pretty good start. Teddy Bridgewater is just very ordinary um, and just didn't do enough. Maybe Sam Darnold, can, he can do more, but he also has the p- potential to do far more damage. So we'll see where he ends up on the spectrum, but he's got more ability to, to potentially transform that offense. Yeah, it's a good opportunity for Darnold to reinvigorate his career. And we've seen it multiple times. Not everyone works with their first team. Uh, you look at the fact after Drew Brees got hurt, he eventually left the Chargers and went to the Saints. Uh, Marshawn Lynch was drafted in the first round by the Buffalo Bills, and he really didn't click until he went to Seattle Seahawks. So you see it all the time where uh, someone's first landing spot doesn't necessarily work out. And obviously for Sam Darnold, the best case scenario for him is to be able to turn around his career in Carolina. And also, too, as you said, they really mismanaged him since the moment they drafted him, number three overall, back in 2018. And when you look at the statistic that every single first-round pick up to Sam Darnold since 2010 is either no longer in NFL or has been traded, to me, that's insane and a very poor uh, management of players and assets for your team for them not to really be any much better down the line. Um, Muhammad Wilkerson, Shoulder Richardson, who's now with the Browns, D. Milner, who's no longer or uh, has barely even played, Calvin Pryor, who got traded to the Browns, is no longer in the league. You look at the fact they've traded Leonard Williams, who just got uh, paid by the New York uh, New York Giants. They're constantly bringing in players and rotating them out. And when your first round talent doesn't stick you're going to continue to see a lot of dysfunction because at the end of the day, when you're not picking players that are core to what the roster building strategy is and they don't last, and typically your first round picks are going to be the most talented players available at that time period. Um, obviously, you know people do f- get drafted in other rounds and have higher um, production that people really expect, but you really have to be able to build your team around a first round pick. And when you can't do that, obviously you're not going to have some same success. Now, for me, the biggest thing that I really look at is two things from this trade. One, the San Francisco 49ers with their trade up to number three really changed a lot of teams draft strategy in that top 10 because it now limits teams at the back end or the middle of the draft to move up for quarterback. Um, You know, that neat one. You look at like the New England Patriots as a team that could potentially move up or the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, depending on where Mac Jones or Trey Lance um, may slide in this draft. But I don't believe the 49ers moved up to draft Mac Jones when you have someone like Justin Fields that has proven himself against top-tier competition. 
um, available, potentially at three, if it goes Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, as many expect. And also is the fact that the Browns really made the right decisions in that 2018 draft, not only in the first round, but in the second round. You take Baker Mayfield, number one overall. A lot of people talked about the opportunity to draft Saquon Barkley. You you don't take him number one overall and then just get stuck with every quarterback is left at number four. You take your quarterback at one, which John Dorsey did. You got Denzel Ward to cover on defense, which you obviously need. And then you wait to the top of the second round and you draft Nick Chubb, the running back, who's had a more productive career and has been way healthier than Saquon Barkley up to this point. And that 2018 draft is just looking better and better as the years go on for the Browns. Well, the top picks do for the most part, I would argue that uh, they should have traded down from four and picked Jairi Alexander, but Denzel Ward is pretty good. Um, But, you know, the 49ers have shown which, you know, the value of losing. Um, They, they gave up that much um, to, to move up nine spots and they're going to get third pick of quarterbacks in this class. That's insane. If you just lost and the 49ers that were in position to do so, um, you know, you, you, you'd have avoided all this and had all these assets, which is why that, you know, as much as 2017 sucked going 0 and 16, man, it worked out really nicely for the Browns as did Deshaun Watson hurting his knee. Uh, not that anyone was rooting for that, but that's how they got fourth pick out of that deal. So, uh, it's it just, it, it really makes it like, look, obviously going being awful and sort of hitting Brock bottom doesn't guarantee success. There's plenty of teams that ha- haven't done that. And obviously the Browns still have to sort of make it work, but the alternative is being caught out of position and trying to like fix it yourself like this is, is really difficult because regardless of who they pick, you know, if they pick Mac Jones, it's hysterical to me, but um, if it, regardless that player before he's taken a snap, before he's been picked before anything has happened, has an immense amount of pressure to deliver for this team. You gave up three first round picks for him. That's, you know, just an incredible amount of assets to lose uh, or or to to spend. And it's going to be really difficult for anyone to sort of justify that much investment like right now most people feel really good about baker mayfield in the you know for the cleveland browns and and potentially leading this team to a super bowl no one right now is saying i give up three first round picks for baker mayfield that's how difficult it is you have to be able to not just hit that player has to be like top of the line great to 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 make it work yeah, and it's like you said, it's a tough situation where you already have that pressure on you. Now, I can't say there may be some benefit that they do still have Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, for be it how long, no one really knows until he gets traded or cut. Um, but you at least have some type of breathing room where you don't have to rush him in immediately. And it can be more of a situation of similar to Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes. Now, obviously, given the 49ers that they were just in the Super Bowl, they will want that to happen sooner rather than later. But, I mean, that still remains to be seen just by the fact that the NFC West is one of the best divisions in football with potentially four playoff 
uh, contending teams. So moving on, looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers and free agency, uh, obviously this is a weird year for them because I feel like they're in playoff purgatory in terms of a contending sense where you probably only contend for one more year unless you just find some miraculous quarterback that no one knows about yet to replace Ben Roethlisberger. It's kind of a, you put all your chips in one bag for this year, hope you make the playoffs and you can make a Super Bowl run with basically the band you have now and a couple of rookies that you think can help you day one in order to make one last push. Uh, before we go into the details of how their free agency went, what do you think is the 2021 outlook for this Steelers team? Bad. They're, they're, they're not going to be good. Uh, it's just not feasible. Last year was their, their, their last big push. Um, they had to hemorrhage talent because they, they pushed in, uh, you know, all in on the salary cap. They've already lost a bunch of players. They, they did manage to pull some, you know, some, some impressive deals to keep some of them in, 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 in house, but overall they have, they've just lost a ton of talent and they've still got the guys who are going to be all pros on this team, but just the amount they're losing compared to the rest of the division and potentially the Browns who, who have not lost anything really uh, that's really in a tough spot. And they, they, they were falling apart at the end of the year. Uh, so I, I just don't see where this team is going to be good. Now, you know, Mike Tomlin is, is, is a very accomplished coach, but I think he's going to, he's going to end his streak of seasons uh, above 500 and they may have a double digit loss season. Uh, there's just, I don't know where the wins are going to come from. I mean, they lost to the Bengals last year um, and they're going to be again, worse. So if the Browns get better, if the Ravens get better, I'm just not sure where the Steelers find the wins in the division, let alone outside of it. Yeah. So part of them being bad, really, as you said, is the fact they've lost so many players. Now, in this situation, when you look at them, they have lost key players, but their most talented players across the roster they've kept for the most part. When you look at their significant losses, um, Obviously, outside linebacker Bud Dupree, he signed with Tennessee for five years, $82 million. They lose Mike Hilton to Cincinnati. He joins Larry Ogunjobi down there for four years, 24. Matt Filer signed with the Chargers on a three-year, $21 million deal. And then also free safety, Sean Davis, who's more of a deaf player, signed a one-year deal in Indianapolis. Now, that's just four players that re-signed with other teams. This doesn't even take into consideration, you know, players that they've either cut or haven't re-signed or signed to a team yet. They're probably going to go this season without left tackle Alejandro Villanueva, who's been a staple on that offensive line. You lose cornerback Steven Nelson, so that's already two cornerbacks that are um, off the board. And then linebacker Avery Williamson, who they traded for from the Jets, and then linebacker Vince Williams. Most likely, depending on how the draft folds, these aren't linebackers that you think are going to return. Maybe Avery Williamson, because he has familiarity with the team after trading for him last year. Running back James Conner likely isn't going to return, obviously, just because the lack of production he provided. And then, to me, their biggest loss outside of Bud Dupree is definitely center Marquise Pouncey, who retired um, after 11 years in the NFL. And these aren't the type of players that you want to be missing if you're trying to make one last push with Ben Roethlisberger. 
Well, I think Pouncey is pretty well washed at this point. Um, you know, I, I would love to have him back for another year, see if he can fire another snap over Roethlisberger's head. Um, they actually did okay with probably replacing him. They got BJ Finney in free agency, who was a guy who was originally with them, and he was actually pretty good when they used him. So I'll be curious to see if if they go that route. Uh, you know, Alejandro Villanueva is interesting because he's not signed anywhere. And you'd look and say, well, he clearly can't si- uh, sign with the Steelers. I keep sort of waiting for this shoe to drop and him magically to go back. But if not, then obviously that's a big deal. They did sign Rashawn Coward uh, from the Chicago Bears. He started for them at right tackle. I think he's pretty good. Um, if, if they can get him to start at that right tackle spot. They've got a couple of bodies over there. If they can find a left tackle, then they'll be in okay shape. Left guard is still a big question mark. Uh, They signed Joe Haig, but he's more of a depth guy. Um, But they lost, uh, you you mentioned Bud Dupree. I'm not sure that was a huge loss for them. Uh, I think Alex Highsmith did a really nice job after he went down with injuries, a different player, but he's still very good. Uh, I think Steven Nelson is a big loss for them. Uh, at corner, you know, they're, 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 Sean Davis is not good. Uh, Vince Williams is okay. Um, so that type of stuff isn't really a problem. The, the fact that James Conner is not a real lo- big loss either, but the problem is they just don't have a running back. So right now they have their offense right now consists of wide receivers. Everything else needs to be replaced or is in the process of being replaced. And that's sort of where their issue is defensively they will be okay. The problem they're still running into is that they still have to sign TJ Watt. That is not done. So they've got some work to do to keep all those guys in house, but, you know, presuming they will get that deal done. It's a matter of when, not if uh, they will still have him, Cam Hayward and Stefan Tua are all exceptionally good players that that cause problems. The, The issue that they run into is when teams can protect their DBs are awful and they got worse and they're going to count on guys like Robert Spillane in coverage and they got picked apart by the Browns. So they're going to be in a lot of trouble and they're going to be relying on younger players. uh, And they obviously spent some draft assets to move up and get some of these guys. So they're not going to have, I don't think they have the full complement of picks. So they, the other problem potential issue they're going to have to sort of deal with is, are they going to try to get this weird, uh, tug of war where they're trying to win versus building for the future. And some of those things can do both. If they draft a really good left tackle in the first round, you know, it helps them win now, but it's more of a long-term thing. If they pick like a running, let's say they pick Najee Harris in the first round, that's certainly not a long-term investment. And I'm not sure what it does to help them, you know, going forward. But, you know, if they if they're determined to, try to make this season into something it's probably not going to be, then, then I could see that being an issue. The other thing that surprised me with the Steelers is I thought they might bite on Darnold. Um, the fact that they didn't maybe has nothing to do with anything, but maybe they like what they've seen out of Haskins. Obviously a big part of what with him is growing up but he's in the right place and maybe they can get something out of him. And if he is functional and if he is like willing to be coached and all these things, 
then I expect he's going to zip right by uh, Mason Rudolph on the depth chart. Yeah, I wouldn't want Mason Rudolph to be the person that I have to rely on in the situation that Ben Roethlisberger goes down with an injury or he's just not playing up to par um, based off what we saw on the tail end of last year. The Dwayne Haskins signing, I did like it in terms of what you could potentially get from him. Now, obviously, there's been some issues where he's not reading the field properly. Uh, He'll make very questionable throws. You saw him throw some picks against the Browns when they played. He didn't even make it through his full contract with the Redskins, with them giving up on him in two years. But, you know, with him signing with the Steelers, you sign him for less than a million dollars. And also you have him potentially as a restricted free agent next season. So depending on what they see from him, most likely, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, besides a handful of series, uh, doesn't really touch the field in preseason that much. And then you pretty much see what you have out of Dwayne Haskins during training camp and hope he can turn into something. You know, during his time at Ohio State, he showed the ability to, you know, make some big plays down the field. But all that changes once the level of competition is elevated once you get to the NFL. And maturity, too, when you're essentially trying to be a franchise quarterback is going to be extremely important for a player. And Dwayne Haskins just hasn't shown that maturity that, you know, a lot of NFL scouts and uh, front office personnel want to see from potentially a franchise quarterback. And looking at their running backs, uh, which is a definite draft need for them, there's just not a lot there. And right now, currently, they have Benny Snell, Anthony McFarling. They signed Kalen Balaj from uh, Miami. And then they have uh, Jalen Samuels still as well. But the fact that you had very limited run production last year and the identity of the Pittsburgh Steelers has always been, we're going to play really good defense. We're going to run the ball, control the clock. And Ben Roethlisberger only has to make a few big plays outside of the pocket and we'll win games. But it's been a very long time since that really happened, especially by the fact they haven't had a run game that's been uh, that well. James Conner, his production pretty much fell each season after his first, uh, I would say, first year with the Steelers. And behind them is just pretty much a bunch of guys, really, that are just rotation pieces. And I would say the first two rounds, either at pick 24 or pick 25, you have to get a running back. Um Obviously, they haven't signed anyone in free agency in terms of that position. But when you have a 40-year-old quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger, you can't enter the season and have him doing the exact same things that he was doing last year of throwing 30, 40-plus times a game. One, his arm isn't going to last through the playoffs if you were to get there. And how else are you going to really put pressure on opposing defenses when they know you're not going to run the ball? Well, part of it is their offensive line got so old. Um, you know, Alejandro Villanueva was 32 last year. I believe uh, DeCastro is 30. And then Mark, or, I'm sorry, Villanueva was 31. Marquis Pouncey was 32. So they got old. That's part of what, you know, obviously they don't have any choice anymore, but they are going to try to get younger. So if they take, you know, just throwing a name out there, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, which is my nightmare pick for them. Um, you know, and, and Rashad Coward is able to take that right tackle spot. They get way younger really fast, and that might help them move people off the ball more. But the running backs they have, Kalen Balaj, 
Uh, Jalen Samuels, those type of guys are good for dumping the ball off, which they haven't really had too much of. Jalen Samuels hasn't really been great. So, so much of their offense last year, their running game was throwing to uh, receivers on short screens, and then they got blasted because it was so predictable. So they have a couple options. I, I think they will – I'm sure they will take a running back somewhere. It's just a question of where – uh, and and try to get some more production of that. But so much of it is just trying to get them more powerful up front and trying to, to keep opponents off balance. Their offensive line was dreadful last year. Not only they couldn't get any push, but they were bad pass blocking. And, and Ben Roethlisberger was the reason they were sort of being looked at as good. He just get rid of the ball so fast. It didn't matter how fast his guys were losing. Um, they, he, was event, he, he wasn't going to take a sack. Um, if that's the situation this year, it could, you know, it could get ugly. The potential uh, benefit for Roethlisberger this year is he's not coming off the elbow surgery and he's got some time to rest. It certainly seemed like he was losing velocity and, you know, some of, some of that strength as the season wore on. Some of that may have been the elbow sort of wearing out, being off of surgery. Maybe. Hopefully, from the Steelers' standpoint, they would like to think that you know resting that thing this offseason will allow him to maintain more power throughout the year and allow them to, to, to be more dangerous throughout the year. But the problem is that they are relying on so many ifs at this point, which is, again, they're going to be bad, and these are all the reasons why they're going to be pretty bad. They have to basically hit on every draft pick to avoid – going below 500 as far as I can see. It would be very surprising if they're able to avoid that. Granted, they did it a couple of years ago when Roethlisberger was injured, but their team was way better. Yeah, and their draft needs on offense this year include offensive tackle, interior offensive lineman. Uh, ideally, either you want a center or a guard, and then you have um, running back as well. So looking at the offensive tackle, they do have Chuck Wuma Okafor, Zach Banner, who they re-signed, and then, like you say, Rashad Coward from the Bears that they have from this offseason. And then on interior, they did sign B.J. Finney, as you also noted, from Cincinnati. So those are some players that they help, they hope can help solidify the interior. Uh, obviously, Matt Filer was a big loss for them with him going to the L.A. Chargers. And when you really look at their offensive line and the lack of protection they could really give Ben Roethlisberger, this now puts more of Ben Roethlisberger under a microscope because in the situation that they're able to improve their offensive line, you would hope that his production would increase in a more meaningful manner of he could throw the ball down the field or attack the intermediate parts of the defense uh, more consistently versus everything being screens and short hitches or drags. Um, across the middle and really I feel like their offseason you know besides their additions and the players they brought back is the restructuring of Ben Roethlisberger's contract so when you look at how this all led up to this point he signed a two-year 68 million dollar contract extension back in 2019 he misses the 2019 season due to elbow surgery and then within his original contract you have 22 million in a prorated roster bonus a $4 million base salary and then a $15 million signing bonus 
which is over $41 million originally just for this season. So this year was just a crazy finagling of the cap. Uh, obviously with the cap going down due to COVID, a lot of teams started utilizing this voidable option within contracts, which I feel that over the next few years, uh, the NFL is going to figure out some way to kind of limit this um, just because it could potentially become an issue later down the line if teams are constantly adding these voidable years inside contracts. Uh, but when you look at his revised contract details, his base salary this year is only for a million dollars. Uh, he has a prorated roster bonus of 15 million and then are prorating the rest of it uh, over four years, basically. And now he has a restructured signing bonus of a little bit under 10 and his cap hit is now at 25 million shortly under 26 and those moves are good but at the same time the fact that a 40 year old quarterback is getting a had a 41 million dollar cap hit and still is going to be making about 26 million this year that's not an ideal situation where you still have so many other holes on your roster that you would need to um, improve just to compete in your own division. Well, you know, Ben Roethlisberger insisted he didn't care about his salary, which is interesting because he's getting every cent, uh, which is a bad deal for the Steelers. Uh, they, they got just completely uh, beaten out on this one. I don't have a problem with voidable years. You got to pay for it. It's not like it's, you know, you're not going to pay. All it does is, you know, he's, they're suddenly going to get hit with, a hit next year and it's going to hit hard. Uh, yeah, it's 10 and a half for uh dead money. Yeah. The Browns are going to have a couple guys in that same area. That's what, you know, Andrew Barry has done. And if, if they have enough rollover cap, it'll sort of take care of it. But like the saints are going to be in cap misery for a while. They, they, all the, the, the void voidable years is really just borrowing, you know, basically charging future years to the credit card. Uh, so it balances itself out. It's just another way to sort of extend the life of, you know, a year to year thing. So, uh, if you're not careful with it, you know, that, that can really bite you, uh, in terms of how that's going to work. So I don't really have a problem with it, but you know, the, the, the cap situation with the Steelers is a nightmare on that front because he didn't, they didn't save anything. It's, it's, you know, it's 15 million which is okay. I mean, if, if they'd gotten him to take, you know, actually take a pay cut, they could have actually made a meaningful difference. So uh, in some ways, this, this has the feeling of being like the, the, the final Kobe Bryant season, uh, except the Lakers fans were in on it and okay with it for the most part. The Steelers fans are not, and they don't like Ben Roethlisberger nearly as much as Kobe. Kobe was beloved by fans in Los Angeles. So I think that's part of what's going to come to come to a head here is if Ben Roethlisberger does not play well and the Steelers are losing, the fans are going to take it out on him. Uh, And that's going to be ugly because Ben Roethlisberger really, really, really wants to be liked. Uh, And he hates the fact that so many, you know, that he's not sort of beloved in the NFL uh, tries. He might, and sometimes he looks, tries way too hard, but this is, this is the thing is like the, the, the price to be paid for going all in on that last year, which the Steelers are obviously feeling and the saints are obviously feeling, and you don't get away with it for free. You know, the, the, this idea that the cap is fake, 
it's not clearly because all these players have left these teams and maybe they're keeping sort of their main components in place, but they're both teams are going to be dramatically worse uh, going forward. So, you know, I, I haven't seen a real reason to believe that this is something that's sort of like an exploit that has to be addressed. Maybe we'll get to that point, but particularly for this year, it may have been really necessary uh, given the state of the salary cap. So I'm curious to see where that goes. But like I said, the Browns are doing it with two players right now, uh, a, a third after next year. And then uh, we'll see if, if Clowney gets signed at some point or somebody else, uh, they're almost certainly going to do it for, for them as well. So, you know, it just goes into next year's cap, which obviously will be bigger, but still. Yeah. And looking at the cap situation, uh, a lot of their additions that they made in terms of re-signing, most of the players that they've brought in uh, in free agency has really been their own players. Obviously, Dwayne Haskins was brought in from Washington. They did bring in Joe Haig, offensive tackle from Tampa Bay on a two-year deal, a little bit over four and a half million. But you look at mostly who they brought back on their defense. They bring back Tyson Alualu, who resigned on a two-year deal after who uh, who originally agreed to a two-year deal or $6 million with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he comes back and signs with the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, a player that you wanted the Browns to look at, but he eventually ended up coming back. And then he kind of joins Juju Smith-Schuster in that same um, position, kind of, of coming back where you have more money on the table, where he could have actually signed with the Baltimore Ravens for a little bit more money, but he returns to Pittsburgh on a one-year, $8 million deal. And for me, it didn't really make much sense for uh, Smith-Schuster to come back. You know, there's discussions of, you know, he came back because he's familiar with the system, or some people argue he believes that Ben Roethlisberger is a better quarterback than Lamar Jackson. And at this point of Roethlisberger's career, I don't believe that to be the truth. It was more of just, you know, familiarity. And also with the cap going down, he could potentially get more money next year but once Antonio Brown left, Juju never really showed himself to be the number one receiver that he needed to be. And then now with Chase Claypool there and Deontay Johnson also being able to solidify his role in offense, I feel like him going back to Pittsburgh is more of a loss and a hamper on the money he potentially could have got, you know, somewhere else. Uh, so my sense of... Uh, Smith Schuster is entirely about role. He is the number two, potentially maybe number one receiver in Pittsburgh. He would have been the number three weapon in, in Baltimore. Uh, and he would have been the number three weapon at best in Kansas city. I think that's entirely what this is about. He didn't want to go to uh, the Ravens who don't pass a ton anyway, and be essentially behind uh, Mark Edwards. And then, Marquise Brown. Um, and I think that's what this is about. He, uh, he can talk all about how it's about Pittsburgh and all this stuff. Cause he already said things that made it sound like he didn't want to come back. Uh, but I, I think this is entirely about making sure he gets his numbers so that he can hit the market again. Certainly getting that short-term deal is important to him. Uh, so he can hit the market next year and hopefully get, go to a place where he can secure that, uh, higher role in the offense. Uh, I think that's 
what stung him the most is the idea that if he left Pittsburgh, it was to be basically the number three option anywhere else he would have gone. But you don't think there's a situation where, say if you do sign with Kansas City, and when you just look at the talent, you know, obviously Tyreek Hill is there. Um, I'm not sure if Sammy Watkins, I think he may have resigned or went somewhere else, but Baltimore. Baltimore, okay. So I believe Smith Schuster is better than Demarcus Robinson and pretty much all the other receivers they have on, on their roster. Yeah, you have Travis Kelsey, but wouldn't you ideally want to be in a situation where teams have to focus? Because you have you have to double team Travis Kelsey in some form or fashion, and you always have to have some safety on the third level shadowing or, or shading to the side that Tyreek Hill is on because of the speed he brings. Now that gives you more flexibility to work underneath the intermediate parts of the field because you're arguably one of the best slot corners, uh, slot receivers in the game. Why would you not want that situation versus are you really a number one and you being questioned of your talent and your ability to be a top receiver in Pittsburgh with a basically declining quarterback? Uh, again, I think it's just entirely about status. Although, are we sure he would have been out McCole Hardman? They really like him with the Chiefs. He's super speedy. Certainly, uh, he would have been good in the slot but I mean realistically Travis Kelsey is their slot guy so again he's at best the number three weapon there maybe he could have had a great year with Patrick Mahomes uh, and and that would have done well obviously they have a chance to win the Super Bowl but but I think status and numbers ultimately ruled the day on this one I mean you know not to to crush the kid he's super young he's like 23 uh, or 24, somewhere in that neighborhood, you know, maybe there may be something, the fact that he was, you know, sort of scared to move uh, and, and sort of leave that sort of nest as it were. But I, I think it really just is a matter of status and numbers. He knows Ben Roethlisberger will throw him the ball. Uh, and then he can try again next year, uh, potentially go to the same place in Kansas city if he wants to. But uh yeah, I, I, I don't I, I don't think it's much more complicated than that. I, I, that may be short sighted on his part, but I, but likely a very real problem. So why do you think Alu Alu decided to back out of the deal with Jacksonville? Despite me, uh, <laughs> he uh, he claims that uh, he, he had agreed to sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars and he got covid so he couldn't go sign the, the contract. Um, and then during the time where he was sort of unable to go anywhere that he thought apparently that uh, he had just built his dream house and he didn't want to leave. And uh, his family is all very firmly entrenched in Pittsburgh. Never mind the fact he could have driven about 90 minutes to, to Cleveland uh, and been fine. But evidently that's that's the reason he ultimately wanted to go back to Pittsburgh Again, spite me, uh, I think is the number one reason. Uh, but for whatever reason, I, look, t- it's difficult to argue with the product because he's had a, a great run in his 30s with Pittsburgh. And it may be as simple as he doesn't want to mess with it and he wants to keep playing great. Uh, but, uh, you know, for him, it seems to be a matter of, you know, you want to call it loyalty, whatever, familiarity. Uh, it's it's strange because he's 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 taking less money to stay in Pittsburgh uh, as opposed to going to Jacksonville, which is is whatever. So again, he could have done the same thing with Cleveland, very you know, reasonably close to Pittsburgh. 
and and you know won games, but uh, he he chose the the spite me path, and I hate him for it. <laughs> uh, I think also there's this slight negative connotation when you look at a, a franchise that's bad, um, it, and it kind of gives me Anthony Barr signing with the New York Jets. He goes. Obviously, Greg Williams was still there at the time, but you look at that, how much dysfunction was in that, you know, in that organization. And then also a little bit of a question mark within the coaching staff of how he made a felt towards Greg Williams. So he decides to not sign with them and go back to Minnesota. And then also there was um, if I, I, I can't remember, but it, it, just, it just happened last year, too. But you've you've seen it before where these players kind of see how things are with other organizations or something just kind of shies you away from a, a poorly ran organization versus, you know, with Pittsburgh. And I mean, I can't necessarily blame them because you, you talk about the fact that Mike Tomlin hasn't had a losing season, uh, which is miraculous, uh, especially given uh, the quarterback situation they had in 2019 and just the ability to always perform goes a, a long way of versus, you know, a team that's really rebuilding and had a very good run in 2017. Somehow with Blake Bortles just being decent with that very good defense they had when they made the AFC Championship, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. And yeah, sometimes money can definitely sway a player to go somewhere else. But, if, you know, if you haven't won a ring or, you know, there's just different things that you have to deal with, sometimes just going to that, a uh, better organization or staying with a better organization, you know, could play a role. And they also, you look at who they have on their defensive line. There's much more talent for him to find some more success. Um, you look at the fact they re-signed uh, Chris Warmly, uh, two years, four and a half million. They brought back Cassius Marsh, uh, who's really like a DE4, or in this situation, he's going to be the fourth edge rusher uh, playing that outside linebacker role. Um, but overall, when you just look at their defense, there's there's a big question mark really in that front seven that you haven't really seen in a while. Yes, they still have TJ Watt. Um, Alex Highsmith did play well um, in Bud Dupree's absence, but edge is going to be huge for them where they have to address that and at least get more depth or potentially get someone that you may have uh, rated higher than Alex Highsmith in that first round. And definitely another linebacker to go next to Devin Bush. Uh, he's coming off a torn ACL. Robert Spillane isn't that good in coverage. And then you don't really have any benefit of bringing back Vince Williams, who's mostly a run defending linebacker. And then that kind of just leaves Avery Williamson, you know, in flux of, you know, re-signing with the team if he doesn't go somewhere else. So when you look at the draft, they have pick number 24. Do you think they're more in a situation where they get a dedicated edge rushers like Aziz Ojolari, or do you think they may be better suited with a versatile player like Zayvon Collins, who they could use both on the edge or as an off-ball linebacker? Well, as long as they don't pick Osai, I'm fine with it. Um, no, I, look, I think their best bet is to use that pick to address left tackle. Um, if they... Go defense. Their their bread and butter is obviously going with a pass rusher. I think they're okay at linebacker. I I like Avery Williamson. They like Robert Spillane. 
in spite of all evidence. And then they've got uh, Bush coming back. So I think they're okay there. They can add somebody uh, in the draft process or, or later on uh, to sort of fit that, that uh, you know, that thumping type role that Vince Williams played, Vince Williams played, but uh, they, yeah, they they could certainly go pass rusher early, but man, they've they've had so much success getting those type of depth guys that can come up, not unlike Highsmith did, and maybe they do that again uh, and get somebody like Roche or you know some one of these sort of undersized guys that uh, other teams may pass on that they get a little bit further down the board, but I just can't you know unless. You know the offensive tackles are just gone when they're when they're picking. I can't imagine a better way for them to sort of set themselves up, especially if they don't get Villanueva back. Uh, they they don't really have an answer right there unless you're going to put like a Corafor or, you know, one of those guys that left tackle. So if they can get somebody like a Tevin Collins, like a, a Christian Darisaw. Like one of those guys, suddenly their offensive line is significantly better, and I think that has to be job one for them. It, look, unless they're just content to let Roethlisberger die this season, and I'm okay with that plan, but they may not be. So I think that's probably their their best plan of attack. The other problem, the other thing I, I can't really rule out with the Steelers, and not that they're like they, they are not usually a team that does this is the possibility that they try to trade down. Now, it's tough because I don't know how many teams are trying to move up, but they may try to try get an extra pick or couple just because they need a lot of stuff and they need a lot of cheap contracts, and that's an easy way to do it. But right now, I, I have them on an offensive tackle. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if they were to take a, a pass rusher because they've done it. Uh, and if they take Joseph Asai, I'll hate them. Maybe they like Aziz Olajari. I mean, they could like a guy like uh, Jalen Phillips or somebody like that. You know, if their medical is, if they're, they're content with the medical on him, then they may not want to pass up on his talent. Uh, so they have a lot of options, but I, I really do think, based on just their situation and the money they have or don't have in this case, that they really, I think they're almost pigeonholed into taking an offensive tackle. So, and I I agree that offensive tackle would probably be their best line of defense, depending on what Alejandro Villanueva is willing to do in terms of his contract. Um, but I also look at their cornerback position. Awful. If exactly with you have Joe Hayden, who's pretty much going to be, and I don't want to say done. He has maybe two, three, and I don't want to say good years left. He has two or three fair years left where you don't want him being your number one corner. And that's, I mean, that's really the situation where they're kind of in with him. And then you re-signed Cameron Sutton, who was just a free agent. But you had three guys that were either restrictive, unrestricted free agents that you had to decide of the three who you're going to bring back. And it wasn't Mike Hilton, so you decided to bring back Cameron Sutton. And, I mean, you could bring back Steven Nelson, but there's better options. If someone that's at the top uh, of the cornerback group, obviously you're not going to get Patrick Sertan or or Caleb Caleb Farley. But if a cornerback falls because teams are moving up for quarterbacks and we see something crazy where six go in the first round or there's a run on receivers or something and the cornerback falls, I don't think you can be in a situation where you don't take a cornerback over offensive tackle because of how bad their defensive back group is right now. 
Well, okay. So there's a couple things. First, Joe Hayden makes way too much money. I don't know why they're allowing him to make 15 million this year. Um, he should be taking a pay cut because he's not bad. He's just not good. They like him. Um, he does some some things with with coming up and making tackles and coverage that that make him somewhat valuable to them. Um, I wouldn't rule out Caleb Farley just because of the medical with his back. Uh, very talented, but you know that's one of those things that scare teams off. Uh, maybe they like a guy like Greg Newsom or Ifiatu Melifanwu. I mean, they could like uh, they, they could like Asante Samuel Jr. just because he plays so tough and he's good at off coverage. Um, but the Steelers routinely have sort of been like acceptable, accepting of the fact that their quarters were terrible and just lived with it. Um, they've put any number of schlubs out there over the past years, and they basically covered it up with their pass rush, and including last year. They're, they weren't very good in coverage. And they just sort of went with it and they won, you know, enough games to win the division. So it's certainly prudent. Again, I'm sure they'll take one, but they do have some options. They do have uh, the kid I really liked out of Michigan State from a couple of years ago. Uh, that, that would be one option at corner. Uh, they've got another couple of young guys that they might bring along. And I think they may just add another um, another guy to that group but they may be sort of content to let some of these positions sort of sort themselves out with the young guys. So they can either sort of, uh, you know, go or get off the pot with some of these guys and move on. Uh, so I, you know, it, it's certainly not impossible, but that's why I, I think offensive tackles, the, the thing they can't, they cannot operate without, whereas they've proven they they're more than content to, play with bad corners in, in years uh, and still been successful. Yeah. I, I mean, just for me personally, I feel like it's, it's tough to go in with really only two proven corners where, I mean, yeah, Steven Nelson and Mike Hilton, like they're not the top echelon, but at least you somewhat had four guys that you know what you were going to get out of them. And if, if I'm, if I'm in a situation where I only have one year, if I think, you know, a call for Banner or, or, or Rashad Coward can give me enough or similar play to what I received last year or just slightly better, then that's 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 a chance I'm going to take when I know I have to go against teams in the playoffs to even reach the Super Bowl that are going to throw the ball with success. The Chiefs are going to throw the ball with success, without a doubt. Um, I seen something today where Josh Allen could be an MVP conversation next season. You know, you know, obviously, you know, that depends um, on a, on a lot of different factors. If he can even be consistent, I do like Josh Allen, but that's another player that you have to worry about Baker Mayfield and just the two receivers they have on the outside in Odell Beckham and, and Jarvis Landry. I would easily take that duo, uh, you know, on one-on-one matchups versus Joe Hayden and Cameron Sutton. And then you, you pretty much have, you know, Donovan Peoples Jones and Rashard Higgins and their ability to really win one-on-one matchups against less talented players. And if that's a situation where, yeah, technically it's your receiver three, but if I constantly have to worry about who's going to be picked on for this game, I would much rather have a talented corner that can cover that person I think is going to be, you know, that corner that potentially is going to be picked on based off the roster you have now versus let's say if I do draft that tackle, which isn't going to be one of the the top guys 
because you know tackles a very limited position and you know who's ever the, the top talent is going to go quickly um you, you you pretty much have to take almost like i would say the best player available and i would say based off of just recent history when it comes to drafting tackles coming out of college you'll be better suited taking the defensive back versus taking the offensive lineman that may take more time to develop and like you said if they take the offensive tackle the long-term plan looks a little bit better but if you only have one year if i'm putting my chips all in one basket what it looks like you're doing by even continuing to allow ben roethlisberger to have such a big cap hit you need to put as much talent on both sides of the ball that helps him that's just not a position that's you know developing of course cornerback is going to have to develop but i feel like their impact is a little bit more immediate versus an offensive tackle that you know, say if they opted out last year or just doesn't have that many reps against top tier competition, what you're really going to get out of them. So if let's say for the sake of argument that the Steelers get uh, they get J.C. Horn, you know, that's not going to happen. But let's just say they do. He's I would say has the case to be the top overall corner in the draft. Are they going to be able to cover Odell Beckham? On a consistent basis? No. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. Like, even they, they can get the best guy, and they're still in trouble. So, uh, you know, that's sort of the thing where, you know, don't get me wrong, they, they need corner help. It's just uh, they're, they're going to be in, in, a, in a tough spot regardless. Like, that's – and that's, that's this year for the Steelers. 2021 is going to be tough for the Steelers. They, they don't have enough assets to cover all their bases, and it's just a question – the boat is leaking, and you have to decide where you're going to plug the holes. So to me, fat kids always go first. They're the, they're the most difficult to find other than quarterback, and they have the most staying power. So that, to me, is the safest play. Um, they, they have lost all these guys. They need to, you know, they, they may be plugging holes with a guy like B.J. Finney. They could really use an offensive tackle to sort of deal with that. And then, you know, because if Roethlisberger gets killed or Roethlisberger just decides to quit, which I don't rule up happening. Um, that's going to be the issue. So they want to run the ball. They want to keep Roethlisberger operating. You know, to me, that all points to get a fat kid up front. That's going to be able to protect his blind side and, and power up. A little bit. Yeah. So looking at the draft picks and the selections that the Steelers have this year in round one, they have number one, 20, the 24th overall pick. Uh, so two spots right above the Browns. So potentially, in the situation that the Browns were looking for a linebacker, if they do take someone, that could be a player coming off the Browns board at the position at 26. Then uh, round two, they're at pick 55. They have a third round pick, two fourth rounds. They don't have a fifth. They have a sixth and then two seventh round picks. And they were actually received a compensatory pick in the fourth round, which is going to be number 140. So, they, I mean, they do have a little bit of draft capital. Like you said, they were going to have to hit on a lot of these picks. And obviously this is just going to be a conversation because they need to find an answer. And there's so many question marks with Dwayne Haskins. I wouldn't completely rule out them getting a quarterback. So in this situation, obviously we know the top three, which are Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and I still say Justin Fields. Uh, I don't care what anyone says. You don't trade three first round picks for um, Mac Jones, who's, another Jimmy Garoppolo, as some people compare to him. Um, in the situation that 
other teams have a similar evaluation. So you have Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and then maybe someone like Kyle Trask um, that potentially could be a, a, a first round pick. Or there's one other guy um, from, I think it was Stanford. Uh, I can't remember his last name. But in, in this situation, one of those three fall of Lance, Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, and the other guy from Stanford. Do you consider taking one of them at 24 to at least have an answer after Ben Roethlisberger leaves after this season? Um, it's a good question. Davis Mills is interesting. Um, I don't know if I love any of these guys enough to be a first round pick. I mean, I, I, I didn't love Mac Jones before all the hype. Um, so I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, <laughs> I know he was hurt. He had hurt his, his leg a little bit. He moves in the pocket like a pack a day smoker to me. I, I just, there's something about him where it just always, it, lo- it looks like it hurts. It looks like it's uncomfortable. It looks like he's coughing and hacking as he moves. He just, I don't know. He just doesn't look very good to me. I, I like, I, I love Justin Fields. I think, you know, he's a guy where so many people um, have, have issues with him. And, and I said all along, I thought he should go back to college for another year. And it's not because I don't think he's good. It's because when you are that talented and you have so many tools, it takes a while to learn how to use them all. And some of the things that he's being sort of criticized for is because he hasn't done it yet. And if he's catered to properly, and I think San Francisco has the infrastructure to do that if they keep Garoppolo as a starter this year, then he can be really, really special. He's accurate. He's obviously athletic. He can he, he has shown the ability to pick apart a defense, um, and he just needs to continue developing in those things and learn to use all of his tools. But if you're the Steelers, look, I understand why you think I have to take a quarterback given the fact that, um, you know, Mason Rudolph is not it. Uh, you, you know, the game they played against the Browns, he was throwing like these 50-50 arm punts uh, to see if his guys would come down with it. Uh, he's just not very good. Uh, he looks the part. He should have been used on quarterback sneaks, uh, which may or may not have cost them a chance to come back and beat the Browns. But, uh, you know, whether it's Dwayne Haskins or somebody else, I, I, I don't I get I, I just don't I don't think they have the roster for it. I think, you know, we under you know, look, it, it, there's so much pressure when the quarterback's there. You ha- feel like you have to take it and maybe you do. But in the case of the Steelers, I think they need to uh, build up the roster around him. Uh, whoever that's going to be, and, and they're going to be worse. Um, and in some ways, you know, if, if you're a Steelers fan, maybe you're hoping they sort of turn into that skid and bottom out so that they can get a, uh, a kid out of UNC or somebody of that caliber. Uh, I'm not sure that this is sort of that year to try to force a fit because that's exactly what they did with Rudolph and it didn't work. Yeah, the the Steelers, they're just in such a weird predicament in terms of where do we go from here? Uh, I mean, Rafa's 39. He's going to be 40 next year. So there it's like he's 50, right? There, there's not many situations where you see him returning, you know, and how long can you deal with a guy that drinks beer and, and does fat yoga during the off season? It's, it's just the the time is dwindling and they don't have an answer. And part of me feels that they may go 
a whole kind of just organizational change after this season. Now, and it, now this is not me saying that, you know, they're going to fire Mike Tomlin or, or, or anything like that, even if they do have a double digit loss season. But at some point, you have to just bring in something fresh and, you know, to really change things around. You did have success. I mean, you got what, two Super Bowls out of them, which which is good. You've you've made multiple and you got the most out of the quarterback that you drafted in the first round. You were able to, you know, really have a stronghold on this division for a good period of time outside of, you know, the runs that the Baltimore Ravens had in the Super Bowl with uh, Trent Dilfer, Ill, and, and Joe Flacco when he had that miraculous playoff run where the man would just throw touchdowns only. Um, but you had your run. Now it's time for the transition. And, and it's we've been seeing it. Since the moment Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson got drafted, obviously the Browns time period of making that transition out of the cellar of the AFC North was been a little bit longer because they couldn't get themselves together in terms of having their head coach and a general manager on the same page. The Ravens were already a real run organization. They just need another answer after Joe Flacco kind of ended out of his prime. But I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Tomlin, you know, took a step down in a couple in a couple years if they don't have some type of plan um after Ben Roethlisberger re- retires next year. Uh yeah, and, and I have nothing to base this on. It's not like it's a thing, but it's not that the Steelers would move on from Mike Tomlin. I just wonder at what point does Mike Tomlin go, I've sort of run my course. Maybe it's time for me to move on. Um look, I mean the Steelers are obviously they don't fire coaches. They haven't had a reason to. Um but I, I do think that there is something to be said for the fact that they are going to make, maybe they're going to be stick through this and rebuild and be successful again and have another nice run. But, you know, if, if this season goes badly uh, and, and they don't, and he doesn't feel like it's going to go, go in a positive direction, it may be him that decides, you know, uh, they, he wants to take on a different challenge and go to a potentially a better job. Um uh, Maybe that's maybe there isn't one that comes available that that he will like. My uh, concern with that is that he has done a really poor job of hiring assistant coaches, um, and obviously he has taken criticism, frankly warranted criticism, that you know for a guy who talks about um, not hiring enough minority coaches in the NFL, which he's 100% right on. He also has never hired a, a an African American coordinator. Um, and he, that's on him. Um, he has almost entirely white coaching staffs. Um, so I, we'll see what happens this year. They've got new guys at, at certain positions. They've got a new offensive coordinator. Keith Butler is still the defensive coordinator. Whether that's good or not, we'll see. Um, new offensive line coach and some of these other things. But if, if this doesn't start to turn around, I don't think the Steelers will quit on him. I just wonder at what point does he sort of – see the writing on the wall and basically go, this isn't getting better. Maybe it's time for me to look elsewhere and, and, and move on. And, and the Steelers at that point, get a fresh start. I, you know, I don't know how long their GM, Kevin Colbert, who's been great plans to stick around either. So it may be a situation where both those guys sort of leave at the same time, but we'll see what happens. I, I, I think the, the Steelers are in for a few years at least of being pretty bad. So, and that's not a, a normal feeling uh, for them. And that could have some real ugly turns to it. They're a team that are, expects to win. 
Uh, and when they don't, how's that going to look? I mean, we've seen it in the past when their seasons are like verging on 500 or not making the playoffs. They don't show up to games at all. Uh, their, their home games are empty. So, you know, everybody talks about all oh, their, they're this great road team. They travel super well. They don't home well. So we'll see where this goes. It's going to be a bumpy ride. This, the, 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 we'll see, this is not a great draft class to sort of rebuild in. Um, but they've, they've got some opportunities to try to fill some holes and get better. Yeah. So 2021 is going to be a very interesting year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, likely after the season, they'll go through a transition period, um, leaving Ben Roethlisberger in the rearview window. Uh, obviously there might be some questions with head coach Mike Tomlin and they're also their defense. You know, they have question marks of how they're going to sign TJ Watt. Their defensive line is getting older. Some players are likely going to leave. So like, Pete said there's likely going to be a situation for a few seasons they're going to be bad and this gives the Browns more of an opportunity to establish themselves atop of the AFC North obviously their biggest competitor is going to be the Baltimore Ravens as um, Lamar Jackson you know forbid any injuries um, they're going to be competing you know neck and neck for each season if he continues to improve like we expect Baker Mayfield to improve. So I'd like to thank you guys again for tuning in to episode four of the Browns Digest podcast. You can hear the podcast on all your favorite audio streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Also make sure you guys give us a follow on Twitter, which is connected to the show image as well. We'll be back next week as we discuss the Baltimore Ravens and their free agency plans. The NFL draft is at the end of the month, so prepare to be giving a lot of good information, some mock drafts, talk about different draft prospects that the Browns could be interested in, and how Andrew Barry can really bring this team together so that the Cleveland Browns can find themselves in the AFC Championship and to finally make that Super Bowl push we've all been waiting for since 1-31. So again, we thank you guys so much for joining the show and we will catch you guys next time.